I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. Yo, what's poppin', everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Celtics Pod with me, your boy, Adam Taylor. And we're back with a three-man weave, which means I'm joined by my co-hosts, plural, compadres. I've messed that up completely. My <laughs> homies, plural, co-hosts. No, I've messed it up again. Look, I'm with Will and Greg. All right, that's who I'm with. Well, I'm not I, I, so, dude, I really respect that you didn't say, hey, like, screw this, we're doing it again. You just let it run. That's what I love. I, I love when people get to hear, like, how stuff actually happens. You know, the three-take intros. I'm not down for that, man. That people are here for the raw, unfiltered stuff. That's what they're getting. It's Greg Manakis. What's up, everybody? <laughs> yeah, in case it wasn't clear, this is your boy Will. What's going on, Taylor Gang? How you doing, man? Yo, I'm living, dude. I'm living. So, so for everybody you, listening... You got a vacation brain already, I can tell. Yeah, I'm telling you, dude. So for everybody listening, this is the last episode for uh, about a week, maybe just over. I'm going away on vacation tomorrow, heading over to sunny Spain for the week just to get some R&R. So um, rest and relaxation, y'all. So we're, we're gonna we've done a mailbag. Little sad that we didn't get too many responses, even though we tweeted it from a bunch of accounts. But as usual, my IG came in clutch. So we yeah, have got in- what we get. We got about 45 responses, but only about five or six good ones. Yeah, I'm talking <laughs> like, you know, 10,000. Like, I think I had like 2,000 responses. Okay. And uh, I chose the best one. Now nah, I barely got any responses. I we, we'd responses. hire an intern to, to filter through all the all the questions. Yeah, and the reality is we had to hire an intern just to falsify some questions because it was <laughs> yeah. that barren of a response. Uh, I'm sad, y'all. Where was the love? But it is what it is, you know. Um, so we've got some good questions, but obviously before that, we need to check in with the guys. What's popping, y'all? How you keeping? I'm good, man. I So Greg speaking, in case you can't distinguish between me and Will's voice. Uh, <laughs> I just I just started a new job. I uh, love it. It's been great. I did my first work happy hour yesterday. Um, well, actually, second work happy hour. Will and I discussed this on our pod the other day. Um, the first one I didn't drink at. I was just chilling, just, you know, kind of letting everyone that wanted to have the attention on them have the attention on them. Yesterday, it was like a full full office work happy hour so we had to like jump around and we were given assignments like you have to talk to at least three people from other departments and whatnot so i I was able to kind of be the social butterfly that i am and it was a lot of fun man i'm loving the new gig it's going to give me a lot more time hopefully to uh jump on more three-man weaves with you guys which is great because normally during the week you know when i was a teacher i had to (laughs) i had to do it when i was supposed to be doing work for uh teaching and you know educating the youth and it never felt great jumping on when i was supposed to be doing that uh but now it feels good because like i can start my day whenever i want yeah it's a beautiful feeling man uh um well honestly i wish i was feeling as great as greg is so i i'm in the uh, right now i've had a little bit of time off as i'm transitioning my work life uh moving some things around so i got some free time and so uh, this, I, we talked, there's another topic that we covered on, a, on our podcast over on green with envy, but, uh, just had just turned 33 earlier this week. And so I wanted to kind of like, you know, new, not new year, new me, not, not that, not quite to that extent, but you know, you want to be healthy. You want to, you want to say it's my 30 turn 33 years old. I got to take care of myself. First day I went to go work out. 
hurt my back. And we've been getting better the last couple of days. Been using the foam roller, been, you know, uh, got like a little like heat pad thing you put on it. Little, it's like a Bengay patch, but it's, a, it's called Tiger Bomb, whatever. So similar type product. You don't know what Tiger Bomb is? I didn't know what it was until until recently. Okay, yeah, maybe you walk it, into like any Chinese striking thing. gym, any gym that does like fit, like striking, like Muay Thai, kickboxing, mm-hmm. the entire changing room is cut, just stinks of Tiger Bomb. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's like it's like old it's like an old man scent, right? Like it's yeah. just. <laughs> and I tell you what, you get a lot of dirty fighters that will smother that on their bodies before they fight. So then when mm. they clinch up with you, and it gets get in, in your, your eyes. eyes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, I I was not familiar with this brand. My uh my partner recommended it to me, and I was like, all right, yeah, it sounds good. You usually you know better than I do, so I will take your advice on it. Been using it's that; it's been stuff. helping. But I will say this: we're recording Friday morning, and today it did not feel great. It's a little tight right now, so I'm I'm playing through the pain right now. As I gotta I gotta make sure I go loosen it up after we get off this podcast. Try the free spray as well. Sometimes the heat doesn't. Yeah, help, we got that too. Spray well. helps. Yeah, I got the I got dude. I got we we got all the remedies going over here at, at my household right Yo, now. We're this- we're trying to maintain. This body. morning, Will, I, I was just tr- trying to get ready for the pod, and I just ordered. Well, I didn't order. My my buddy he um, tore down his studio, so he had all this f- like sound foam. So I'm gonna get my room treated with all the foam that that he gave me. So my my studio is just a mess right now, and my weights, my 20s, were just like out and about. And I was trying to make room for Blaze to sit down on the couch. So Blaze is my dog, Adam. And I pick up the twenties and I go to move them. And I wasn't really like paying attention to how I was moving with the weights. And I just like kind of bent down off of one leg, almost like a one leg squat to put them down. Oh man, my back is jacked up right now. It's like 10 minutes ago. I was like, Oh no. Oh no. We're, we're starting a men's league in a couple of weeks, a basketball league. And, uh, I don't know that I'm going to be able to make game one. This is a rough start. It's a rough start. We've already got multiple injuries to our roster two weeks before the season even starts. Shout out Chet Holmgren, man. That's a harsh shot. Yeah, let's start there, man. Let's talk about Chet. But, I mean, I've seen a lot of people say on Twitter, and I completely agree, that this could be the thing that makes teams far less okay with guys playing these pro-ams. You know what I mean? And And, like... One of the things that I really liked this summer was a lot of media and a lot of players were it, it kind of like, made, it felt like it popped off a lot more than, yeah. than usual this offseason. And a lot of people were making it about the fans. It wasn't about getting runs in. It was about giving opportunities to, to fans and young kids that wouldn't usually have the opportunity or the means to turn up at a game and get to see their favorite player. And this was a way to do so for free. And uh, it was, I I like that fact because, you know, tickets are expensive. Not everybody, especially in the current economy, not everybody's in a position to be able to, to go to games and get that opportunity to see their players. So that to me was a really nice thing that it popped off more. And it felt like the, like the giving back to the community in that sense was a huge driving factor behind why so many guys were turning up. Right. Like uh, I remember when Tatum was speaking to Taylor Rooks and he was like, one of the things for me was I wanted kids that couldn't afford to come and see me. Cause you know, if you're a JT fan and you're in Seattle, you've got, mm-hmm. you've got to pay to travel, to stay, to watch. He was like, and these kids might, might look back and be like, man, I remember when Jason, Jason Tatum just turned up at the gym and lit guys up. So like, and then for Chet to go down the way he did, I mean, it sucks because obviously great, great prospect. You want to see what he can do against NBA level talent. And now he's going to miss a year. Now that doesn't have too much negative connotations when you look at, Ben Simmons missed a year. 
Joel Embiid missed a couple of years. A lot of these high prospects don't always play in their rookie year. And that could that can sometimes be a blessing in disguise. But if it means that players are more reluctant to turn up in communities and give back in that manner because of the risk of injury or the risk of repercussions from their team, uh, that's a loss for everybody. Yeah. And I know I, I wish nothing but the best to Chet and I hope he gets a, a real quick and healthy recovery. But the grander scheme of things, that that's a loss to all NBA fans and bas- and the basketball community as a whole. And I hope it doesn't affect it too much. I, I'm with you that I, I think certainly for the rest of this summer, you're going to see a lot of NBA players, you know, curtail their activity when it comes to to different programs. But I, it was really, and I was talking with a few friends, like I, the Drew League has always been very popular, right? But other than that, you haven't seen as many of these programs. You know, we got Peyton Pritchard last year dropping whatever it was, like 92 points in a pro-am out in Portland. But, it, but it's very rare that you see the caliber of stars that you've seen across different programs all over this summer. And I think it's been really cool to see for all the reasons that that you laid out. I know some people will say this is why, you know, teams and sometimes fans in general want everything to be in a very controlled environment. It's like, you know, these guys are going to play no matter what. Right. Like it, it was a freak accident. This is not necessarily anything that there's no guarantee he wouldn't have had some type of injury like this while training. And so to me, I hope that it's not looked at as, well, see, this is what happens when you play in a non-team controlled environment and that it, it's looked at for what it is, which was a freak accident because you, you laid out. It's really cool. Like I, I saw at one point, I think it was DeMar DeRozan was on uh, Draymond Green's podcast and he was just talking about like how he called up LeBron was like, yo, Bron, you want to come through and, and think about like, going to a little high school gym you're a little kid or you're even you're in high school and you but you're you know you're like you said you're you're coming from maybe poverty or from an area that you just can't afford those tickets like no matter whether you're going to a lakers game no matter what night it is or how bad they are those tickets are crazy expensive and so to then see lebron come throw down a dunk on your high school gym rim that you might be playing pickup ball in a week later when it's empty like that's a wild experience to to think about having so you know i i hope that it continues i hope that this isn't going to slow down this momentum because this was actually really fun and it helped kind of fill the content hours if we're being yeah. honest for us in the off season when it gets really really slow well a couple things Number one, I think it's really cool to see the guys like playing for the love of the game and playing for the fans. I think that's probably the the highest point that any of us can make is is just these guys love basketball and the game and the practice and all that stuff is is so much hard work getting ready for the season and all that. So for them to be able to just come out and have fun playing basketball and to do it at a, at a high enough level where like people are still entertained, you know, they're, it's not quite a, a NBA game. It's not quite like all-star level intensity um, in, in a good way for the all-star level. I think it's like more than what you see in the all-star games. Um, I just love the fact that these guys are out there playing for everybody. Now the Seattle program, the crossover was a little bit different because it, there was condensation on the court. Right. So if, if all of these pro-ams are going to bring in these high level names, they have to do it. Maybe not at a high school gym, like to kind of go against Will's last point, because if the, if you can't monitor that situation, you can't make sure that the court is safe. They had to shut that game down in the second quarter. Then these guys shouldn't be out there playing straight up. They, they need to be on courts. It's just too much of an investment, right? Yeah. They need to be yeah. on courts and in, in arenas that are probably bigger than a high school gym or maybe maybe like a high school gym in Indiana, like those can, you know, those seat like 20,000 people. Um, so they, they need to be 
in much better conditions than what they were for the crossover. Cause the moment Chet Holmgren got hurt and they were like, you, you, you couldn't, you couldn't really tell what was going on in the court, but you saw some of the guys slip a few times and it didn't look like anybody was really going too hard. It, I was getting nervous for Jason Tatum as I was watching it. Cause I was watching it live. And um, it was, it was, it was a little scary, man. Cause if JT had gone down, if it wasn't Chet Holmgren, can you imagine how Celtics fans would be talking about program games right now? Yeah, my entire statement might be flipped if it was Jason Tatum. <laughs> exactly, right? It's easy because Chet Holmgren hasn't played in any games yet in the NBA. And it's like, oh, this sometimes this happens. Like people are kind of expecting Chet to get hurt anyway at some point. So like, oh no, it, it, but he's he's still going to be able to come back year two. But if it was saying if LeBron gets hurt, imagine LeBron gets hurt in that game. And then maybe he's if he has a list Frank injury at, at age 38, maybe he never plays again. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's there's a huge risk with that. But I do think that the love of the game overweighs any injury risk. Two, I know, Adam, you said you haven't watched it, but it did remind me as I was watching the And One documentary how much people just love the game and how many kids in the inner city are unable to pay for games. As Adam, you were talking about, some people don't have the means to get to an NBA game. And the And One rise in the early 2000s allowed all these people that otherwise couldn't pay big money to go to games, show up and see, you know, show up at an event where it felt like there was a community coming together. And I think that's what's dope about basketball sometimes too. And one to a large degree is what cement, like, so like the Michael Borden, Michael Jordan balls, the Larry Bird sees like, you know, towards the end of bird. Uh, Those were the things that, created a love of ball for me but and one was what solidified it right like because the nba especially internationally the nba wasn't really accessible but and one mixtapes were all available on dvd and then the and one guys toured so they would you would get people coming to london or coming to birmingham and playing and you could go and watch and there'd be free on free street ball tournaments run by like sunny d that was all inspired from these mixtapes and for especially with like the group of guys that I grew up balling with, we cared more about what Hot Sauce was doing and like, you know, White Chocolate, The Professor, Earthquake, all these cats. We cared more about what they were doing at that moment in time than what anything that was happening in the NBA because we didn't have direct access, but we had direct access to this. So uh, I think that's a huge, like, a, I'm, I'm really excited to watch that documentary. Yeah. I'm a bit annoyed I haven't got around to doing it. it it's pretty crazy because they, they talk about in the doc when they got so big that they started coming, you know, going overseas. And they talked about like they weren't 100% sure what to expect and that it was actually crazier overseas even than what they had that they were already doing in the states like they got there and it was everything that you're saying of how accessible it was and how it opened the door and and you know it, it introduced a, a different generation to you know to basketball because this is especially this is in that time frame right where we had kind of sh- shifted from the dream team to you know we didn't go back to the redeem team until i think 2008 so you know not that basketball wasn't having the same influence but it was kind of this lull period you know post michael jordan where you know Shaq wasn't playing internationally Shaq was you know he's a he's a global figure but it wasn't at that point quite yet it's pre-lebron so it's kind of that lull in between and that's where and one really made their stamp and made a huge impact over overseas by you adam adam who was your favorite uh and and one street baller Hot sauce by a mile. I, I literally does the boomerang is probably yeah. my most used basketball move on a court. It's the one like it's just fluid. I get that snap on every time I do it. 
like uh so the hot sauce and then uh i think white chocolate was next for me and then okay. I, I was a big fan of earthquake just because of how big of a dude he was and how smooth he was with the rock and like he could he could shimmy you and he could shake you and i'm like this dude's big man like how the <laughs> hell is he shaking you and creating space when he's so big and uh he was just really good so but i grew up like and i i genuinely believe that that showed the nba a blueprint on how to start cracking european and eastern asian markets by going going overseas and doing more and finding a way to make the league more accessible and obviously the internet really opened up the gates for the league pass mm-hmm. and then guys like me that had been craving for more were able to get it but uh, and one was like uh, for me as as will kind of alluded to it was definitely a bridge it was something that kept your interest in the sport and kind of kept you t- ticking over until that accessibility be like materialized and then you were like yo this is it now i'm good which so which move is the boomerang so it's the one where you uh you snap your arm and then hit the ball so it kind of behind their head so like i'd throw it behind your head and then hit it yeah so then it spins up and then back to me i love yeah that that's a great one my favorite i i didn't know what he called it but i used to do the move because i saw him do it and i would normally do it like at at camps and stuff. And I you know the campers would become, but they try to guard me if I was a counselor. So that's normally how I would do it. I didn't really have the gall to do it in a real game. Um, but the, the move where he would dribble between his legs and he'd throw it up over his head and then he'd keep dribbling. And then yeah, he'd yeah, 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 yeah. That was, that was my favorite move. I called it, I, I just called it the get over here move. Um, just, you know, <laughs> do you know which other one I love that when you were dribbling on a guy, so you were sizing him up and then you'd bounce it behind his back but you'd leave the ball there and run the opposite way so yep. they'd follow you. And then you'd snap back because you've left the ball. And now it's so easy to seal the guy up on your hip. I used to use that time. I used to use um, the slip and slide a bunch, you know, like when you're going for a loose ball and it's a 50-50, just slip and slide. looks sick if you pull it off. If it doesn't, you look like an idiot. Slip, slip and slide's one of the slickest moves that you could, that yeah. you could do from those. My brother was really good at the slip and slide. And then the one where you put it round your back. So like if it's with your right hand, comes round your back and then through your right leg. Mm-hmm. Kind of, you kind of step over it into the, back into the original hand. Like like, I, my Lou. Yeah, yeah, and I never understood why it was like i did it all the time but it never worked like i didn't fake anybody out with it half the time they'd wait for me to get it back in my hand and just like pit my pocket (laughs) i think that that's the that's one of the most underrated parts about watching people try to do the street ball moves is how many people messed up you know what i mean i would imagine it's somewhat equivalent to watching skateboarders i'm not a skateboarder but like try these difficult moves and 99 percent of the time they're not doing the move and then finally they get it done and that one time looks sick and it's kind of interesting now right because with instagram the way that there's so there are all these accounts that just go to these different leagues and whatnot and they take you know they take 30 seconds of footage from it and if you've ever gone to one of those events what i've heard is that most of the time it's just like failed alley-oops and guys missing three-pointers but they always get a couple of highlights and that's all you need for your instagram content can you imagine how big and one would be now i I mean that's why the professor's still so big yeah he's still huge man he's got a crazy following he pops up on my instagram all the time he doesn't like he he likes one of my instagram posts one time really (laughs) yeah i was doing i was doing basketball training videos for a while when i was still coaching um so before the pandemic like that's how i made like some side some side cash a little side hustle just training high school kids and i forget i forget what the video was but i was teaching some kid to dribble and move and i posted it on instagram and he liked it it was pretty great i made moves for high school kids 
<laughs> Sorry, that's some M- no, I, I rewrote some Eminem lyrics real quick. <laughs> oh. All right, then. So we should get into the mailbag. I think we've uh, got people through it. yeah off-season content, y'all. So let's get into the mailbag. We'll start off with um with the question that got thrown to Will first, because Will, you're the one that tweeted out the mailbag. You're the one that kind of got this running. So I think you deserve to your question is definitely worthy of being number one. And I think you need to be the one to answer this. Yeah. So you can read it out, y'all, man. This is your time. Let's do it. Let's do it. So this is from uh, this is from our guy Corey Brooks over on Instagram. So your prediction for the minute breakdown for the role players. So it's early in the morning here. I don't have the specific minutes broken down, but I figure we can take this from let, let's take a look at what kind of the the depth chart and the staggering would look like, right? So I, I think if we we can all probably agree. Last year, the, the the statistically, the Celtics had the best starting five in, in all of basketball, the best five-man unit. So I would imagine, and there's been reports, that's not going to change. So you're going to have still Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Al Horford, Rob Williams. If everybody's healthy, that's going to be your starting lineup. When it comes to minutes, I will say I feel like Tatum, Brown, Smart, the three of them are still going to lead the team in minutes played. I think with both Rob and excuse me, with both Rob and Al, you're going to see a little bit of cut down in their minutes, or at least, you know, at least when it comes to Al, you're going to see him miss a few more games, I think, just to kind of do some maintenance. Uh, and with Rob, you know, you want him to, to, you know, the team is so much more dynamic when he's on the court, as we've seen. So he's an interesting one where I could see either they maybe miss have him miss a few extra games and keep him at about those 30 minutes per game, um, or maybe they bring those minutes down a little bit and try to get him to play in more games, although, he, I mean, he played 61 games. It was really only towards the end of the season that he got injuries, but that's always going to be a concern with him. So then I think you look to the bench, and I, I think we'd all agree Malcolm Brogdon's going to be the quote-unquote sixth man. And when you look at his minute totals, my prediction is he's going to be fourth in average minutes played per game for this team. I think he's basically going to be a, a, a sixth starter. So he's going to have minutes that are going to be somewhere rivaling probably about what Marcus Smart does. So if Marcus last year played about 32 minutes, I would say they're both going to be somewhere in that 31, 32 range. Now, Brogdon's going to miss some more games intentionally, even without injury, I think, while they try to manage that. And then from there, I think that's where it starts to get a little bit interesting. Grant Williams last year played about 24 minutes per game. My guess is that ticks up a little bit with, as I mentioned, I think Al Horford and Rob are going to have to be managed a little bit. So you'll see a little bit of uptick from Grant. Derek White was at about 27 minutes a game last year. I think that could stay the same, if not even actually go down a little bit, just with the addition of, of Malcolm Brogdon, but then on nights when... When either Brogdon or Smart aren't good to go, you know White's going to hop right in and he'll get that minute uptick. So that could change it a little bit. And then we get to, you know, Danilo Gallinari, same thing. He's an older guy. So I think with him, you're probably just looking to get somewhere about 20 to 24 minutes, somewhere in that range, a game out of him. And then Peyton Pritchard and Sam Hauser, those are the ones that I'm not quite sure. And I'd love to get your guys' opinions. I think both of them, you're going to see them on a nightly basis in some capacity, but the um, the amount of minutes that they're going to get when everyone's fully healthy, and, and this is talking obviously pre-postseason, that'll be a whole different conversation. I, I think I'm, I'm not quite sure what I think that we're going to get out of them, but I'd love to hear what you guys think. So, uh, Will, how, how many minutes are there in an NBA game? Uh, 48. Okay, so how many total minutes are available? 
I don't know, man. I'm not doing that. <laughs> so 240, 240. That's the answer. But the so as you're saying all that, I'm trying to do the math in my head. I think you just put out like 360 minutes out there. Um, so well, because we, people are going to miss games. So I was just talking about the average minutes. For sure, for sure, for sure. So yeah, just wanted to but, make sure that you know we're clarifying here. I think um, with with Tatum and Brown, I wouldn't like to. I would like to keep them under 35 minutes for sure. I'd probably want them somewhere in like the 30 to 33 minutes. Brogdon, Rob, and Al, I, because they're injury prone. You know, well, Al's old. Al's not injury prone, but they're you know they're they're definitely some health concerns there. I'd probably want them tw- between 20 and 25. I think Smart. You know, he's he's been a warrior for this team, but in the past he has had some injury concerns. I don't want him playing over 30 minutes a game with all the added depth that we have. We have Derek White, we have Malcolm Brogdon, we have Peyton Pritchard. I would like Marcus Smart under 30 minutes a game and just really think about the long haul here. Derek White and Grant Williams, I probably want them like 18 to 20. And then Pritchard and Gallo, probably 12 to 15. I don't I don't think you're going to need more than that out of Peyton Pritchard. And then I don't think you want more than that out of Gallinari because of his, his injury concerns and his age. So that's pr- probably how I have it out. I think with that, my minutes are probably above 240 right now if we're trying to think about one game. But I feel you on that, Will, with the average, you know, because some, some games people aren't going to be playing. So while you guys have been going back and forth with math and <laughs> exciting podcast stuff, we'll get, been, we'll get upset that I asked him to do math on the pod. <laughs> yeah, I've been, uh, and as an Englishman, I should say maths because we say maths, not math, uh, because there's more than one type of math. So, and that's a plural. Yeah, and you, and you wouldn't say, you wouldn't say, Hey, let's do some mathematic. No, we'll just be like, let's do some maths. Yeah, yeah, because it's a plural. I've never understood it anyway, just just for content. But I've been working it out, and I haven't got far enough down where I can give you my entire rotation yet. But I'm kind of in that same boat. Like Tatum and Brown, I'd like them sitting around 30 minutes a night. That would be the ideal for me. Keep them fresh going forwards. You've got the depth to do so now. I've got Smart and Horford sitting around about 28 minutes. Rob, you can go anywhere between 26 and 28, depending on how his knees are holding up. Are you getting any swelling or not? Brogdon, I've got between 24 and 26. Again, depending on injuries, how much of a minute's restrictions you want to keep him on during the regular season to avoid any injury concerns moving forward. And then you've got like Derek White. I'd have him around about 22 to 20, well, 20 to 22. And then you could start Grant Williams. I'd like him to like 20 again, 22. And then you just start going down a sliding scale, right? So then the, the deeper down the depth chart you get, the lower down in minutes you get. So Gallo, I'd like him at a 10 to 14 minute a night because I just don't think if you go above that, does his does what he gives you on offense outweigh what you lose on defense over a bigger sample size per night? And I don't think the answer is yes there, especially considering his usage rate is going to be considerably low. And so, you know, a 10 to 14 minute ten is, is fine with me. Uh, Pritchard and Hauser, as you guys said, I think it's gonna. And I know I've missed guys out, I've jumped down, but obviously it's a sliding scale. You can do the maths yourself. Um, Pritchard and Hauser for me, they're gonna be 
intermittent in terms of the size of their role. Some games, they're going to play larger minutes depending on who's available, what matchups are working for them. There's going to be nights where movement shooting is far more important than stationary shooting, and then there's going to be vice versa. If it's vice versa, you put Gallo in. If you need it, you have to move. You go and put Pritchard and Hauser in because they can give you that. I'd expect them to end the season around about eight to ten minutes a night, maybe a little bit more, but the depth is just there where they're really going to struggle but overall, if you can keep Tatum, Brown, and Smart at that 30-minute mark and keep Robin Horford below that, so you know that everyone's coming in fresh, I think you're going to be re- looking really good going into the postseason. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I think the bigger question is not necessarily the minutes, but how much is Ime going to be willing to experiment in year two, mm-hmm. right? Because in year one, he didn't really experiment all that much. You know, He never played Neesmith. Um, he was playing way too much Dennis Schroeder, which we all hated. And, well, I, <laughs> and I, I hope in year two, he just feels more confident, not only in his roster, but in his ability to like, you know, kind of just let loose a little bit and say, I don't need to play eight guys for six months in a row. Like I can, I, I have 10 guys that I really can put out there on the court and we still have Tice, right? No, do we trade Tice? No, Tice, no, is Tice, no, Tice is yeah, yeah we traded Tice. Okay. Yeah. So many things have happened. Um, so <laughs> Yeah, without without Tice on there, like I think ten guys deep, definitely. Hauser will. I know you were clamoring for him to get more minutes last year. I would love to see Hauser get a little bit of time out there as well. So I think um yeah, I think that's the that's the bigger takeaway from this question is I hope Ime decides to play guys more and play the Jays and Smart and Rob and Al a little bit less. I mean, I think and, he's gonna kind of have to be forced to. Right. You know, like we laid out, you know, Rob and Malcolm Brogdon both have career long, you know, injury concerns. Al and Danilo Gallinari are both what, 34 and 36. So you kind of have to even, you know, just just by force, just by like the the, the makeup of the roster. So I, I think he's going to be forced into it. And I think that's going to be I think Ime's development as a coach, as much as he deserves so much praise for that second half of the season. And we gave him plenty of criticism the first half of the season. He deserved double that, if not triple that amount of praise afterwards. I do think that's an adjustment for him in year two that we're going to have to track throughout the season. And let's just, uh, while we're on the subject of Hauser, let's just uh, shout out Sam Hauser for his engagement, y'all. Yeah, on the beach. Shout well, out Sam. My man got the yes. She said yes to the dress. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> All right, then. Next question we got. And let me pull up his username because, you know, I want to be very transparent here. We've got Paddy Bowes 88 from Instagram asking, will Pritchard be a luxury tax casualty? And to be honest, there's a very good chance that Pritchard could find himself on the trade block as Boston looked to get to deal work through that luxury tax. But at the same time, they're a they're a tax paying team, and Pritchard doesn't earn enough to get you out of that luxury tax. And what he gives you in terms of a uh, fourth or third or fourth ball hander in the rotation, able to score from deep, stretch it out to what Imoyadoka likes to call that four point line with his range. There's a reason why you keep him around, and I don't see them just cutting him or looking to move off him in a salary dump because there is still some upside there. He definitely showed during the playoffs that he can get hot. He can give you that floor spacing and you're not going to duck under the luxury tax by trading him away. So I'd be expecting Pritchard to be with the team throughout the entire season. If they were going to make a move to move off that luxury tax, you'd be looking more along the lines of Derek White than you ever would Peyton Pritchard. 
Yeah, I, I'm not overly concerned about Peyton Pritchard being a luxury tax casualty. I think you laid it out pretty well. And I, and I think, you know, as we just talked about when it comes to the rotation, especially when you look at Malcolm Brogdon's injury history, you look, you just kind of pencil in 15 to 20 games. Maybe that Marcus Smart's going to miss per year. Maybe that's a little high, but 10 to 15 games that that he's going to miss just from his style of play. So there's going to be some opportunities for Peyton Pritchard to play. And he can play kind of off of that three guard rotation that they have we talked about the ball spacing. So he's going to have a use i think ultimately if we're feeling a little frisky down the line and they need to use one of those tpes they need to cobble together maybe a couple of quote-unquote assets to go make a move that's where peyton pritchard could be a little bit more of a casualty is trying to make one of those fringe moves that maybe puts you over the top if you're feeling confident as the season goes on to go ahead and make a move but just to be a straight up tax casualty i you know we've talked about it before and keith smith's been on the show talking about it that this this uh, ownership group has talked about if we have a championship level team willing to pay that they are willing to pay the luxury tax and that's what they're doing right now so I don't think they're going to penny pinch and like like Adam said Pritchard wouldn't be enough for it to make that much of a difference anyways um, so I don't think he'll be a luxury tax guy but I do think there's a chance that uh, by, by the time we hit the trade deadline that Peyton Pritchard's no longer on this team is I think he'd be one of the top end guys that I could see getting moved uh, to make some additional moves on the roster for this team. Yeah, and I'd love to see Peyton Pritchard stay with this team. I, I love the kid. I think he has a great skill set shooting the ball and love his handles and all that. He's got a great personality for the team. And I think Boston always loves rooting for, you know, an underdog and uh, an undersized white guy in Boston. Come on. You know, you, you, want to, you want to keep Peyton Pritchard here. And I, I love Peyton Pritchard and the fact that he's more of a dog on defense and people give him credit for. So I hope he does not become, you know, a luxury, uh, a luxury tax or luxury cap uh, casualty. It's a tough thing to say. So I would love to see Peyton Pritchard stay with this team. If he does, if he plays well enough, and I think Emay is going to give him a shot, he's definitely going to be the guy that's on the trading block, though, because I think he's someone that other other teams might be looking at him as a skill set that is needed in today's NBA. The fact that he can shoot the ball up to 30 feet. So hopefully Peyton Pritchard stays. But fellas, I got to dip out here. Um, you know, I'm starting my new, as I said, I started my new job a couple weeks ago. So I just got a message letting me know that uh, I need to get to a meeting here. And I will miss you, Adam. Have fun on vacation and don't mess up any mailbag questions like I did. <laughs> and I appreciate you, man. Thank you for coming by. Right. Everybody say bye to Greg. And this yeah, is where the crowd bye, in the background where people, yeah, this is peace, where they're guys. all staying by in their car. Right, dude. I'll catch you when I'm back from Baker. See ya. All right, peace. Let me just change up the background, Mr. Will. All right. Three As you know, I'm joined by my co-host, my my homie. My compadre, my co-host in crime, Mr. Will Will, what's popping, y'all? What's good, Taylor gang? Second half of the episode. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's like the final leg. Right? I know, I know. It's it's like the last quarter, basically. Maybe we, let's get one or two more in here, and then we'll we'll call it a we'll call it a podcast. So you can start packing up for your vacation. Yeah, I'm ready, yo. I'm telling you, dude. It's the all inclusive that's getting me right. Let's go, man. You deserve right, it. Then. So the next question. Let me just put up the username. Should the Celtics find a backup center with championship experience? And that's from Nelson Hunter 04 on Instagram. So the first thing I want to say is I don't think it needs to be a backup center with championship experience. I think it just needs to be a veteran backup center. And by that, I mean, they don't need to have a ring to be a quality addition to this team. There's a lot of people out there that are saying, Hey, you have enough of a deep rotation with, 
Rob Williams, Al Horford, Grant Williams, Gallinari, and Luke Cornett. They, they can all play some minutes at the five that realistically you probably don't need to add another big man into that rotation. I don't subscribe to that theory because you still have to, most of those guys excel at the four rather than the five. Gallo's going to be situational when he makes sense to play in the center. So is Rob Williams. Al Horford played the entire season last year almost exclusively at the four. So in my opinion, yes, you do need a backup big. Now, the names that I like, and I'm not saying these are good players in terms of where they are in their career right now or the history that they bring with them, the locker room, whatever they bring to that too. But Dwight Howard makes sense. Demarcus Cousins makes a little bit of sense. He had a good end to the season, looked like he could be a good bench contributor. And if neither of those guys really tickle your fancy, Hassan Whiteside's there too, just as a big body. Yeah, I know. I'm the same. I'm the same. But I, I do genuinely believe all three of those guys could do more for you than what Noah Vonley is going to be able to do. For sure. Shade. For sure. I, I will say that the vomit noise was only specifically in regards to Hassan Whiteside. I agree with you on Boogie Cousins and Dwight Howard, but Hassan Whiteside is it's just a bridge too far for me that I don't think I'll be able to stomach. But, you know, in, in, in regards to the question, I, I think you, you kind of nailed it. I don't know that... You know, this is this is the third string center. This is kind of the the in ca- center in case of emergency, break glass in case of emergency center. We're not expecting this person to have super meaningful minutes when it comes to the postseason, unless there's an injury, and then they need to be able to fill in obviously adequately uh, and can help us get through the regular season for sure. So there's not there's no value there. Um, but you know, I, I think we kind of laid this out, Adam, when we were talking about the Kevin Durant news on the last pod, and we somehow ended up going from Kevin Durant to talking about the back end of the bench for. For about 15 to 20 minutes and it seems like you know right now we're going to go into the season with this grouping of younger prove it type uh i think you had you had a great phrase for it young veterans i believe is is kind of what we were we were calling them and and we're going to go into it with you know with that as the starting point and then look to maybe take a look at boogie cousins or dwight howard down the line I think you and I are both probably on the same page that I would rather probably just bring them in now and see if they work as far as Dwight Howard and, uh, and Boogie cousins. But I also understand the approach because you're kind of looking like, Hey, we're going to have minimal, minimal cap flexibility going forward. So with some of these younger veterans, if they do pop or if they are able to contribute, they're going to be able to be brought in on a longer term basis with more of a contract given, you know, Dwight Howard and and Boogie Cousins age and all that. I do understand where Brad Stevens and them are coming from to evaluate this first and then look to either what's still on the market or maybe down the road in the season, look to the buyout market. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm completely fine with that because at the end of the day, if you can find upside with a young guy, with a young veteran, that's going to give you more moving forwards than one year of a Dwight Howard where the yeah. wheels are nearly off or one year of DeMarcus Cousins where you're adding another injury risk mm-hmm. given what he's had in this uh, in his career. So I do see the value in doing it the way Brad's doing it, but you are running the risk, risk, the risk of these guys coming off the market before you're able to finish your evaluation. It, it's, a, it's a calculated gamble, right? Because, yeah, because of course. I, I, I think we mentioned this last time. You're coming off a finals run. You just added Brogdon. You added Gallinari. People, you know, they're the Vegas favorites right now. The Celtics are to to win the NBA championship. So it's going to be an attractive destination when those buyouts do happen. And I know it's it's funny because we always make a really big deal about who's going to be on the buyout market, who's available, and very rarely do they actually swing any type of real championship odds. But 
when it comes to depth, there can be some real value with those buyout guys. They're probably not going to fill your need if you're like, man, we really need a, you know, a six man. Like that's probably not where you're going to find on the buyout market. But when you need a third string center who can fill in with injuries or can play, you know, 10 minutes a game in the playoffs and not get killed, then you could find some real value on the buyout market. And that's what we're looking for here. So I think that's going to be something to keep an eye on. And the final question we have is a little bit more in depth. And I think it's kind of hard to answer when neither team, I'm premising this, are complete right now. And both teams are still figuring out what they're going to be next season. But we'll go through the question anyway. I want to keep this answer brief because, again, it's hard to answer at this yeah. juncture of the offseason. But the question's from f-i-g-a-c-c uh um i don't know how i'd pronounce that over on instagram <laughs> how should we defend against the nets with their new deeper lineup now i'm not sure that you know they are a bit deeper but they're also a bit more thin around the five spot i think they've lost a bit of uh depth there the four again obviously they're keeping durant at this point Kyrie looks like he's going to be there ben simmons you might actually get him on the court this year that alone is enough to make you a scary proposition. If all three of those guys are committed and they're playing as a unit, Kyrie, Durant, and Ben Simmons is a really, really scary prospect. And then, you know, you've got Seth Curry there. You've got um, Patty Mills is there. Nick Claxton's there. Joe Harris is back. Joe, Joe Harris Neal just got added. TJ yeah. Warren just got added. There's there's some serious depth there. They're a good they are team right now. They're a good but I, I think they need another big. You know, is Lamarcus Aldridge sure. isn't there anymore? Blake Griffin's left. They've lost some serious size in the, in, in that. Not part that those guys were great last year, but but I understand what you're saying. Still, yeah, still, just, still need just, to fill those spots. Yeah, some size in the front court is always beneficial. So my answer there is you defend them the same way you defended every team throughout the playoffs and throughout the regular season. And what you do is you just continue to switch one through four. You have your big man like Robert Williams playing in that free safety role where he's guarding a corner guy and then helping off. You're basically putting him on the worst shooter and then allowing him to help off and rotate over from the weak side to challenge shots, get blocks. You do a bit of switching one through five. Maybe you switch one through four and drop. You alter your pickup lines, pick guys up higher up the court, pick them up lower on the court, depending on what their skill set is. But overall, you defend Brooklyn the same way you defend every other team because that defense and that style of defense got you to an NBA Finals and you've improved your team defense in terms of depth. Brogdon's a good defender. Gallo's not really going to give you much defensively, but he's a big body with some size that's going to make you auto shots around the room if he's in your way. And then you've got a year of development from everybody. Jason Tatum's going to be improved. Jalen Brown's going to be improved. I don't know how Marcus Smart improves defensively, but I'm sure he's going to find a way. Brogdon's a great defender. When We can go down the list, right? But what I'm saying mm -hmm. is you don't alter that just because the nets are deeper or, you know, quote unquote, deeper on the perimeter. You just stick with what's working because when you're guarding superstars, all you're trying to do is contain them and try and force the role players to beat you. Yeah, and the Nets' biggest question to me is is what, what's the deal with Ben Simmons, right? Because I think that changes everything about what their lineup can be and what it looks like. Because ultimately, you know, you're the X's and O's guys more than I am, Adam. I think you laid it out perfectly as to what you're looking for. And I think, you know, with there being 
you know, the, 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 the front court of the Nets not being totally filled out. They're going to have either Claxton or Simmons out there at all times. So there will be at least one non-shooter out there at all times minimum. And, and a lot of times I could see them being out there together. And so you'll have multiple options to be able to play kind of that, that defense that you laid out with putting Rob Williams on, on the non-shooter so that you can have kind of a Rover uh, or putting them on the, you know, the, the, the lesser of the two threats of whoever you're looking at. So I think you'll be able to play a very similar style of defense. I do think it gets a little bit more interesting for the nets. And I saw a, a report the other day. I can't remember where I saw it or, or so I can cite them, but they had mentioned about Ben Simmons playing the five. And that's an interesting prospect. If you put Ben Simmons at the five and then you have Durant Kyrie and then kind of fill in the rest with whether that's Joe Harris, Seth Curry, Royce O'Neal, TJ Warren. You know, if you put Royce O'Neal and TJ Warren out there, at least you're not abysmal on defense like you would be with, you know, some of the other options that you have out there. Cause that would be the the other concern on the flip side is that, wow, that's really potent on offense, but defensively you're going to get killed because you're going to have, you know, Kyrie, Seth Curry and Joe Harris out there. You know, that's, that's, that's not going to hold up super well on the defensive end. But I do think if they're going to be able to play Simmons, Durant, Kyrie together, like the three of them, and this is what was, you know, this was the discussion around the whole Harden for Simmons swap is that theoretically this works actually a lot better as a big three than what you could do with Harden, Kyrie, and KD. Because of the way Simmons plays, the way that he wants to distribute, he wants to kind of let Kyrie and KD take all the shots. You're sharing the ball uh, as far as shot, you know, as far as shot attempts go, you're sharing it a little bit less. Simmons is a stalwart on defense. He's one of the best defenders in the league last time we saw him play. So it, it is really fascinating to think about. But for now, it's all on paper. So it's, you know, I, I think as we talked about, I put them in this tier of a little bit of a question mark. But on paper, they're probably in the Celtics and Bucks tier, in my opinion, as far as talent and what they could be but there's just so much other nonsense around them that I have no idea what to make of it. And they could, like we said, they could end up the one seed. They could end up in the play-in. There's no team with a greater variance right now than the Brooklyn Nets. I'll tell you what, Ben Simmons as a rim running playmaking five is a scary prospect. Yeah. So I, I think that, you know, there is chance there, but again, you still defend them the way you defended everybody else. You don't have to switch on Ben Simmons on the perimeter. So you play drop. You know what I mean? You get your wings to pinch in a little bit. To, you tag him. You make sure there's a body on him early. You make it's a shallow drop so you're in front of him the entire way. You take away his driving lanes and force those passes, the, and then you have the perimeter defense. Then the one with thing that. with Ben Simmons, though, and this is dependent on whatever Ben Simmons we're getting, is that with him, when you play off like that, he's you know six ten, six eleven, and one of the best passers in the league. So now you're kind of giving him almost that vision to be able to find where those passes go. So when you think about you know with some other players that you can do that with, you can bother them with length. Or if you were playing that drop coverage and you end up with, you know, Bruce Brown was a guy that ended up kind of in in a, in a weirdo that short you know, roll, small short, ball five. Yeah, exactly. So with some of those guys, you you can live with it. There are there is a scenario in which Ben Simmons more than others can make you pay. For. I think it's still the same approach, but I think there is a chance that he can make you pay more than others might. Yeah, there's definitely, and I think, but the reason I'd play drop against him and take away the dunk is because that's not all the, all the rim run. It's because that's almost a guaranteed two, whereas the kickouts Boston were very good at playing passing lanes. They were very good at closing down on shooters very early and making sure there was no shooting space. Mm-hmm. And if you can make them reset their play and then you've took Ben Simmons's drive away from him, 
you've got a chance of forcing a little bit of stagnation for sure for or sure. forcing an isolation. And I'd, I'd much rather that than have Ben Simmons drive kick and it be wide open shut. So you put that drop on there to hopefully get the ball out of his hands earlier than what he would like is where I'm looking at that. And that's why it'd be a shallow drop, not a deep drop. But again, these guys are elite. Ben Simmons is an elite passer. He's, he's going to adjust his game depending on how the defense is. And then now you're in that chess game. But that's yeah. something to worry about if and when you face them in the postseason. And yeah. that's a long way away. They've got to get there. We need to see what this year's They've got to get on the court. They've got, they, they, yeah. they've got to get together, you know, smoke some hashish and like just have a little kumbaya seance and make sure that they can all <laughs> get together on the court first, which I saw Ben Simmons is now just starting three-on-three activity. So who, who knows when we'll actually see this quote-unquote big three together for the first time. If we see the big yeah. three. And with that said, you've had your big three today, y'all, when it was the three-man weave. That's right. Mr. Greg Manakis has gone away to do work because, you know, I've got to pay them bills, bruh. Mm -hmm. You got me and Will left. And we're wrapping up now. Again, we won't be on another episode now until at least the 5th of September. You're more likely looking at the 7th by the time the next episode drops because I'm away. Uh, it's also Labor Day weekend, so make sure you know everybody. We won't be here for that, so make sure everybody you take some time off, go enjoy yourself, have a barbecue, have a cookout. Make sure that y'all are going to take the time for yourselves. Much like our guy Adam here is one of the hardest working guys in sports, deserves his time off, deserves to gather the Taylor gang, bring him out to the beach, and go get some nice R and R. First vacation in four years, dude. I am pumped. Right then, everybody, have a good Labor Day weekend. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. If you want updates updates on how my vacation's going, go follow my Instagram. There will be lots of story posts. <laughs> Later, guys. And Peace, y'all. Peace. Ain't disrespecting you haters. I ain't sweating your opinion. Y'all been testing my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the famous. Just rather be creative than stressing my wages. Ageless every time I lay a verse down. One play at a time. Keep it moving like a first down. And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this. MJ never made it to the major. Still, he chased greatness. Expected that he might fail. And I might too. I might never get to pop champagne. Celebrating with the crew. This ain't everything I am. It's something that I do.